We have uh, spent the month of January exploring what we've decided will be this year's annual theme, Becoming One. It was so good last week to hear from Pastor Debbie as she taught uh, us from the book of Ephesians. Uh, I, I'm excited today to return to the lectionary rhythm of, of Scripture readings. But if you didn't have a chance to be here last week, we also had baptism. Um, and so that is included. The baptism service is included on the recording, if you want to go, if you want to go take a listen on SoundCloud, um, man, there's nothing more exciting than baptism. People turning their lives over to Christ and making that public statement, I'm going to follow Jesus during my life. Um, and that was a, a great time of celebration last week. Uh, we missed our students as they were away at retreat, but they were, they were hearing from God as well. Uh, and so that was a beautiful thing. And so thanks to those that uh, led that group as they as they were away. Um, today, I'm going to be preaching from the first reading, which for the most part in the lectionary cycle is the Old Testament reading each week in the lectionary. So that's where we're turning today. Uh, if you have your Bible with you today or, or have a device, I invite you to turn to the book of Micah, uh, Micah chapter 6. Now, if you have trouble, if you have a Bible, you have trouble finding Micah, we used to have in Sunday school, you know, those, those memorization uh, contests to see who could memorize all the books of the Bible. But if you're having trouble, go to Psalms, which is the big book in the middle, and then head to the right, and you go through the major prophets, which I don't know why, but I memorized as I-J-L-E-D. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. So uh, I think that's the next one. And then you get into the minor prophets. And then so you just kind of have to only go a couple pages at a time until you find Micah because you can miss one really easy. Uh, but today we're starting uh, at Micah chapter 6, verse 1. We'll be reading through verse 8 today. If you're able and would be able to join me, would you please stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. Reading today from the, uh, the Common English Bible. Micah chapter 6, verse 1. Hear what the Lord is saying. Arise, lay out the lawsuit before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. Hear, mountains, the lawsuit of the Lord. Hear, eternal foundations of the earth. The Lord has a lawsuit against his people. With Israel, he will argue. My people, what did I ever do to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam before you. My people, remember what Moab's king Balak had promised and how Balaam, Beor's son, answered him. Remember everything from Shittim to Gilgal that you might learn to recognize the righteous acts of the Lord. With what should I approach the Lord and bow down before God on high? Should I come before him with entirely burnt offerings, with year-old calves? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with many torrents of oil? Should I give my oldest child for my crime, the fruit of my body for the sin of my spirit? He has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you, to do justice Embrace faithful love and walk humbly with your God. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. <laughs> you ever been stuck wondering what a child wants? Like a toddler child, like one that, that, that's trying to start to formulate words but, but can't quite 
hasn't, hasn't really mastered the English language, right? Um, there's, there's just this frustration that, that you can have, uh, and, and especially with, with another person's toddler, right? And they're saying a word, and they're clearly distraught that you can't figure out what that word is. Um, and and they're, they're frustrated, and they begin to cry, and they're looking up at you with these sad eyes of why you can't understand their language. It's so sad, and they just get so upset. Um, and then a parent walks in the room, and they're like, oh, they want water. And the they give, parent gives them water, and they're fine. And you're like, that wasn't water. He wasn't... <laughs> He wasn't saying water, I promise. Um, uh, even with my own toddler, sometimes I think she has a special language with my wife, and my wife can understand very well what she wants. Um, uh, and sometimes dad, dad doesn't uh, know the language quite yet. Communication can be hard. Sometimes it takes work, right? Sometimes it takes a lot of work. I hope all the married people in the room are going, yep. It does. I think about, I, I, some people have asked, and we do have some sickness running through our family, and so my wife and some of our kids are not here, um, so prayers for us would be great. But I think about all the ways that, that Lynn and I have to communicate, okay? Raising kids, establishing the budget, school pickup, you know, did, did we pick them all up? Are they all, <laughs> are they all on board? Sports schedules, screen time, discipline, date nights, family fun. There's all these things that, that we have to communicate about and be on the same page with. We're like that with God, too. Sometimes it's a struggle to communicate. Sometimes we struggle to know. Sometimes we struggle to receive that clear word from God. God, what is it that you want from me? We ask ourselves one of the most difficult questions that I think there is to ask. What's God's will? What's God's will? What does God want? Where does God want me to go? What does God want me to do? I just want to be in God's will. I want to be in the center of God's will. That was The prayer used to be, I want to be in your will. And then it was, I want to be right in the center of God's will. It's like, the pressure's on. Like, you got to get right to the center even. But I think we've all prayed these prayers. I think we've all asked these questions before in our life. We have record of Jesus asking a similar question or praying something similar on one of the toughest nights of Jesus' life as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. What were his words? Lord, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. People in the New Testament struggling to find God's will. In Acts, after, after Judas had, had hanged himself and they were replacing the 12th disciple they couldn't figure out God's will. It says they cast holy lots. We're always trying to find God's will. I think this scripture stands as evidence that even the people of Israel were asking this same question. We're struggling with this same, uh, posing this same question and struggling to find the answer. What does God want? What is required of me? It's the same question we ask today. And the lectionary cycle first reading takes a brief stop in this book of Micah this week. We don't know a lot about Micah. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, other books that reference this uh, minor prophet uh, of Micah. Uh, he was probably a contemporary of Isaiah. He was prophesying about the same time as Isaiah. Isaiah wrote a lot more. <laughs> 
who probably served longer than Micah did. But we do know that Micah lived in this place called Morasheth or Morasheth Gath, probably along the southern border of the southern kingdom. So that's the kingdom of Judah. Uh, and he didn't carry a lot of good news for the nation of Israel. Uh, <laughs> Micah's, Micah's message to uh, Israel was not a kind one, was not a good one. He would foretell of the capitals of both Israel and Judah falling. He, would, he was harsh in his critique of how the nation of Israel had fallen away from God and gone their own way, decided to do their own thing. He uh, had some stinging words for the people to whom he prophesied. But Micah was also a bringer of hope. He also had a message that, that said that there's a way out. The first three chapters of, of the book really outline the case against Israel. For Micah, um, God was frustrated with Israel. He was fed up. He was, he was done uh, and, and justified to that end. Um, and I invite you sometime this week, if you want, read through the first three chapters of Micah. Uh, we don't have time right now to, to really dig in. But, but when, when, when the lectionary cycle takes us to a, to a new book, it's, it's helpful for us to understand. It's helpful for us to spend time there and see, see what's going on. Um, Micah stresses Israel's idolatry. Micah stresses their injustice, the way that they didn't fight for the one who had no power. Micah stands against their empty rituals that sometimes they just caught themselves going through the motions. It's not what God wants. It's not what God had for the nation of Israel. That's not got what God has for us. Does any of that sound familiar? Idolatry, the things we end up worshiping, the ways we see injustice take shape in our world and sometimes how ritual becomes empty. If you take a look at Micah's writing as a whole, you get the sense that one chapters 1 through 3 really kind of recount the ways that, that, that Israel had gone wrong, but God is coming and destruction is imminent. But you see images of, of the strong holding it over the weak. You see the vulnerable not protected. And Micah says, we're going to kind of get what's coming to us. But then it's in 4 and 5, chapters 4 and 5. Micah kind of turns a corner and reminds us that there's hope, that there's always hope. And then we come to chapter 6, which is what we read the beginning of. Um, and it starts out with this case against, against Israel. The case is really laid out uh, in, the, in the writings before. Um, and that's really why it's, it's important to, to understand the context. But, but read it, uh, read this story, this passage inside the context of the larger story. Micah finds himself inside the system that has really become broken and corrupt and had forgotten the worship of Yahweh, forgot what it was like to worship the Lord. Its leaders had failed to steer them toward truth and toward worship of the righteous king. And the powerful had worked to exploit the weak and consolidate even more power uh, so that they had control. And yet as we read this passage today, there, there's this ownership. I was struck as we, as, as in these, these early verses of this, uh, of this passage where, where God speaks to the people of Israel and there's this, this ownership, this familiarity between the speaker and the one to whom he was speaking, the accuser 
and the accused. My people. My people. Do you know that even in our most broken moments, God still delights in us. When we're broken, when we've walked away, when we've set ourselves on a wrong path, God still addresses us as my people. My people. God is still on board with us. God is still counting on us. Some of us hurt. Some of us are in the midst of painful times. I know some of us are grieving. I know some of us are facing tough diagnoses these days. God is still with us. God is still our God. God still wants us. We're still addressed with these words. My people. And we always will be. Not because we're in church. Not because we're faithful to the practice of worship. Not because we're American. Not because we're Christian. Not because whatever label you want to put there. Because we are his children. God reaches out to us in our broken moments and says, my people. Somebody today just needs to hear that. Somebody today can stop listening because that's the message that God wants to, to give them today. Today, you are his people and he's with you. But Micah goes on. What does he do? Uh, does, he, does he blast them for their brokenness? Does, does he say, uh, what are you doing? Come on. He doesn't say that. But today, he says, he begins to recount some incredible ways that, that God has been faithful to the nation of Israel. He, he starts bringing up these stories, these stories of, of who, who God has been and the faithful ways in which he has ministered to the people of Israel. He starts with the, the story of Exodus, right? In, in verse... Uh, in verse 4, he says, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam before you. Micah was dipping back into this powerful story when God rescued them from Egypt and saying, we're still in those days. I'm still your God in that way. Do you remember the time you weren't even, you didn't even have a land of your own? but we're in slavery in Egypt and I came to you and I set you free. Um, God's faithfulness in the Old Testament brought out of slavery, led by humble, teachable leaders who this whole journey from slavery in Egypt through exile and into the promised land would have conjured up all these memories of the long story of Israel. Do you know that sometimes when we're in crisis, we kind of get these blinders on? That we can't look past today, that we're, we're caught up in, uh, maybe this is just me, maybe it's not you, but I, I know that w when, when things are rough, I, I struggle to look past today. What does Micah do? He says, look what's happened. Don't you remember? Don't you, we were slaves, we had no land of our own. Look at God's faithfulness. I think we need those stories. I think we need stories of God's faithfulness. Do you remember the joy of giving your life to Christ? What a story of God's faithfulness. Do you remember the days when, when the weight of your grief was so heavy it felt like it was crushing you that, that light might not come up the next day? Do you remember God 
meeting you at that place and making the difference for you. And then he references the story of Balak and Balaam. This one's too good not to touch, folks. If you haven't read it, Numbers 22 to 24, okay? Balak was the king of Moab. Israel encamps on the other side of the Jordan, and Moab had heard about the nation of Israel. And they were like, oh, no. Here they come. And so Balak, the, the king of, uh, of Moab, asks Balaam to come and to curse the Israelites. He says, we, we, I need you to curse them. I need, I need some help. I, I, we've heard about Israel. We've heard about what they do. Initially, Balaam doesn't come. Eventually, he does. He gets in an argument with his donkey <laughs> on the trip. you got to read it. Um, Eventually, he makes it to Balak. Instead of pronouncing a curse on Israel, pronounces three blessings on Israel instead and predicts the destruction of Moab and the occupation of the Moab territory by the Israelites. What a story. What a story for the nation of Israel. Just what they needed just at the time when they were walking away. Micah's story was, oh, man, we've messed up. And in that brokenness, he reminds them of these stories. Do we have those stories? Do you have a story? I think we need to collect them. I think we need to rehearse them. I think we need to tell them they are tributes to the faithfulness of God. Instead of being blinded, blinded by the chaos, blinded by the crisis, stuck, We tell stories of faithfulness of God. And like Micah, as the awareness of our brokenness can begin to overwhelm us, sometimes what helps us the most, what draws us back, is the reminder of the faithfulness of God. And then we get to the heart of this text, the meat of this passage. He's recounted the errors of the Israelites. He's even offered that glimmer of hope. But how do we get there? How do we bring about what is hoped for? How do we turn this corner? How do we accept the gift that God has to offer? Micah proposes some options. (laughs) He he builds this strategic list. There's an order here that for some of us might be be somewhat lost on us. I know it is for me because we're not familiar. At least most of us are not terribly familiar with the sacrificial system that the Israelite nation used. But, but Micah offers a list of different sacrifices. And it's strategic. It's in order. It, it, it's, it's an escalating list. It, strategic in how it's laid out, ending in like this hyperbolic, exaggerated suggestion. He starts with burnt offerings. Burnt offering was a, was a, was a, a fairly regular sacrifice. Moves on to calves, a, a year-old calf. Then he talks about thousands of rams. It's escalating quickly now. Tens of thousands of rivers of oil and even my firstborn. How do we get back to what God wants for us? And he offers this crazy list, this list that that would sound familiar to the nation of Israel. Oh, we know what burnt sacrifices are. We've done that before. Oh, a year old calf. Yeah, that. Ooh, thousands of, of rams. Wow, or Yes, thousands of rams. That's I don't I don't own that, Micah. <laughs> you're 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 out of my pay grade. <laughs> uh, can't go there. Tens of thousands of rivers of oil. Even my firstborn, Micah. This is ridiculous. 
Is this what it takes? Is this what it takes to get back in the favor of Yahweh? Is this what he will require? This is, the, this is the economy of retribution. I have erred and I owe a debt I now have to repay. The worse the offense, the worse the punishment. This whole chapter has set up kind of like a courtroom appearance, kind of like a trial. This is the moment of judgment. The sentence is about to be handed down to the nation of Israel and to the people who've wandered astray. What will happen? What must I do to pay penance, to account, and to atone for my sins? Is all this sin, all this brokenness, all this habitual walking away from God, the capital cities of both Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, are on the brink of destruction. The systems are broken. The powerful are abusive. The days are evil. What is the ritual going to be? What do we have to do, God, to get back on track? And Micah pivots hard. He turns on a dime and heads the other direction. How are we going to address the brokenness that surrounds us? What will our plan be? How will Micah tell us that we can get out of this? How will we make the difference? How are we going to make progress? And he heads deep into our interior lives. This is the revolution of God, not that he addresses our brokenness systemically, but personally. And internally, he looks to the heart. This is the change that God wants to bring. It's inside. It's inside you. It's inside me. Micah says, you're not going to be able to, we're not going to be able to fix all that. but it happens inside. This will change the world. The change that happens here is not reliant upon or pursuant to the circumstances that surround us. The change that happens here is not reliant upon or pursuant to the circumstances that surround us. What does that mean for Israel? What that meant is Israel still fell. Judah would fall right behind. The work that Micah called the people of Israel to do didn't change the circumstances. It didn't change the outcome. It just changed them. I was reading Andrew Connors as he writes about this text, and he says this, The text is a challenge to do justice as a part of our worship experience and to do worship with our acts of justice as part of the liturgy. Let me read that again. The, the text is a challenge to do justice as part of our worship experience and to do worship with our acts of justice as a part of the liturgy. You see, justice doesn't become this thing that we seek for all, all the people who have messed up. Justice is a part of our worship, flowing between believers and calling the unrepentant to walk in a new way of life. We are to do justice simultaneously with our acts of worship. Go do justice today and let that be your act of worship. There's a way of talking about justice that, that you know, like we're going to seek justice. <laughs> like we seek the lost car keys, right? <laughs> Where do they go? 
where they go? I need the, like the clapper on my car keys sometimes because uh, I, I struggle. I, I should just put them where they belong and then we wouldn't have this issue. Um, but we don't seek for justice that way. We don't have to, we have to go around trying to find it and, and search for it, put GPS tracker on it and find justice. The church has a different mandate. Go do justice today for the undeserved, for the non-represented, for the broken, for the disabled. Go do justice today. Then he tells us to embrace faithful love. Other translations say, kind of handle it differently. They say love kindness or love mercy. I really struggle with the word love. I, I hate the way we use love sometimes. I say I love my wife and I say I love M&M's. That's not equal. I say, I love my kids. I say, I love the Mariners. I'm not sure why. With the Mariners, not my kids. With the Mariners. What's up with that word, love? What Micah is calling us to here is interesting. The word translated in the common English Bible as embrace. I looked, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I'm not a Greek scholar. But I... I have books of people who are. So I looked stuff up, um, and that's really helpful to me sometimes. When I look at that word embrace, it's, it's a word that means to love or to be a friend. But this caught my attention. To be an ally. To be an ally. And, and the word translated in the Common English Bible as faithful love is hesed, a, a more common known Hebrew term for an uncommon type of love unfailing love, loyal and enduring love, devotion, kindness. What does that mean? It means this. We are to be an ally to this faithful, unrelenting love. Sometimes in the world today, we have this broken concept of love. Just a, a love that, that can be selfish, a love that seeks, what do I get out of this relationship? A love that is about M&M's and Mariners. Um, the context here is wherever we go, wherever we go, we are an ally to enduring, faithful, loyal love. How does this internal work begin to change the world? It changes our world because we have allies of love. We ally ourselves to the work of this enduring love, to this said love, Wherever we go, with the customer who comes into the shop, to the driver at the four-way stop, to the person bent over on the side of the road, we are an ally to faithful love in this world. God changing the world by changing us first and sending us out. Not, not able always to change all the circumstances, but changing ourselves, changing who we are and how we represent the kingdom in the world. Finally, third step. So we have do justice. We have embrace faithful love. Third step, walk humbly with our God in our goings as we go in the midst of our wandering. True humility, I think, sometimes is a lost art form. Sometimes I, I like to wear the mask of humility. Have you ever done this? Maybe I'm the only one. Maybe this is confession time a little bit for me. I, I wear the mask of humility like, like I'm trying to be humble, 
but inside I have this other mindset that goes sometimes. My interior thought process gives me away. I think God sees right through that. I have to confess, I, 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 the humble, the walking humbly with God is not something I'm always able to, to achieve. It's, a, it's an area of growth for me. The humble wanderer receives correction, is always teachable, is sensitive to the nudges of Christ through the Holy Spirit. A humble person walks through their day sensitive ready to turn, ready to adjust, ready to make course corrections because Christ is leading them. That is our humble walk with Christ. So what is God's will? What does God want today? I have, a, I have this view of the question that I posted, that what's God's will, um, at the outset of this message today. At first, it might seem kind of anticlimactic or, or maybe even <laughs> unromantic. My wife says, shocker. Uh, I'll try to do better, I promise. What is the will of God? The will of God, I believe, is not a road map with a treasure chest with an X marks the spot. That's not how God lined up our lives. That's not how God planned it all out. He didn't want us to be robots. He could have. He could have. You say, but Trent, I know these people, they've found exactly where God wants them to be. I believe that, that they have followed faithfully and true and all the good that they've done and, and what they've achieved. And I say, I think they could have walked another way and still been in God's will. Why would we tie that weight around our necks that we have one path that we have to follow? There's only one way. I used to be a youth pastor. I used to work with students who would ask that question. And, and I faithfully told them, you know, I don't think God has one spot for you to end up. What do I think God wants? As we look to Micah, we hear the answer. Go to the interior of your life. Go to the interior and listen to the words of Scripture. Micah says it plainly and clearly in one sentence. That we might do justice. That we might embrace a faithful love for all humanity and that we might wander with the Spirit of God, humbly ready to receive and respond to the nudges of the Holy Spirit. May I live that kind of life. That's all I want. That's all I want. Help me, God, to live that way. I'm going to invite the praise team up as we close today. We're going to sing a song. Um, maybe today, maybe today you needed to hear, even in your broken place, as you struggle, you needed to hear this. God still addresses you, my people, my person my son, my daughter. That through all that we go through, our connection to God is not in jeopardy and he won't walk away. And you needed to be reminded of that today. Maybe today you needed to hear that in those broken places, one of the best ways that we're called back, one of the best ways that God invites us back close to him is by the telling of the stories of God's faithfulness. 
for you, maybe it's, it's scriptural. Maybe looking at the, the Exodus in the Old Testament, Balak and Balaam, go read that story. Maybe today we start collecting in our own stories, in our own testimonies, the ways that God has been faithful. And that begins to bring us back. Maybe today you needed to ask, what's God's will for me? And you needed to hear a clear answer, not something fuzzy, not something really kind of abstract. Oh, you're going to figure it out. Micah doesn't do that. Micah says, let me tell you. I'll tell you what God's will is. Leave those doors and go do justice today. Leave those doors and, and, and embrace this faithful, enduring love. Be a love agent today by the grace of God for the kingdom of God. Go today, go this week, walking humbly with God. That's all there is. That is the will of God for your life today. Maybe today you just feel led like you need to pray. We have altars in the front of our sanctuary. They're not magical places. They're places where God meets you. There have been times in my life where I've stepped out and I've come up to an altar to pray and God has met me there and changed the course of my life. So these are here at all times for you to use to come and to pray, connect. I don't think there's magic in them. I think there's something about recognizing that God's working in your life, calling you to something and responding to that and stepping out. And so today, if you need to pray, as every week, these are available for you, a place to meet with God. Would you stand as I pray to close? God, thank you for today. Thank you for the chance to worship you. Thank you for this clear call of what it means to seek your will, to seek the will of God. Sometimes we make it so complicated. Sometimes we wear that weight around our necks. I've got to figure out that one thing that God wants me to do. I'm thankful for a text that spells it out so clearly and plainly. May you be with us. May you help us to do justice, embrace enduring faithful love, and to walk humbly with you, we pray. I invite you today to extend your hands to receive the benediction today as we go to do justice, to embrace enduring love, as we go to walk humbly with God, receive this benediction for this week. May the God who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than all we could ask or all we could imagine, what by what power? By the power that is at work within us. Be with you now throughout this week and forever. Go in the love of Christ. Amen.